Morning Glory and Evening Grace America. It's Hugh Hewitt, and it's a special Hillsdale Dialogue edition. Yes, it's Friday, and I usually do the Hillsdale Dialogue in just the last hour. But in a uh, remarkable bit of non-planning that appears to be planning, uh, our discussion of Dante's Inferno is coming up on Good Friday. And so I requested my good friends, Dr. Larry Aron, the president of Hillsdale College, and his colleague, Dr. Stephen Smith at Hillsdale, if we might not do two hours today to make this a perfect Good Friday uh, broadcast. And uh, welcome to you both, gentlemen. It's great to have you with me. Thank you. And, Thank you, Hugh. Good and, to be with you. And I want to let everyone know, uh, Dr. Smith has been here before in the Hillsdale Dialogues. He's an associate professor of English at Hillsdale, did his undergrad work at the home of the Fighting Irish, and we love that. Got his master's and his PhD from the University of Dallas, which are almost as good as going to Notre Dame. Uh, his main areas of study are Shakespeare and Thomas More. He's given a few courses. He's been our guest on the uh, Hillsdale Dialogues before. Uh, but he also gives lectures in the current Great Books course at Hillsdale.edu, including week two on the Iliad. And he's going to do the week nine lecture on Dante's Inferno. And that's what we're doing today. And Dr. Larry Arn and Dr. Smith, welcome. Why is this appropriate, Dr. Smith, that we do it today? Well, it's good. it was Good Friday, and Dante's great journey begins at dawn on Good Friday. So if you go and pick up Canto One of the Divine Comedy today, you can start right where Dante starts, which is on Good Friday. And see, that is, we didn't actually plan that, but it worked out pretty <laughs> doggone well. And so this will be playing on Good Fridays forever as long as the Hugh Hewitt Show is on. And that is, that's wonderful. It's a somber day. It's a serious day. It's a day of of reflection and penance in the Christian tradition, and that's where Dante's Inferno begins. But before we begin Dante's Inferno, let's begin Dante. And uh, Larry Arn, do you ever teach the Inferno? No, I never have. You just inflict it on people. I do, I do. And, I, and you know, Churchill liked to say, if you keep a dog, you don't have to bark yourself. And, I, and I've got Smith, so why would I teach Dante? Well, he, he sent me a note to say, make sure he doesn't call me a Dante specialist. Uh, and so you're no Dante expert. You are a Dante lover, Professor Smith. That's entirely correct. Okay, so let's start as a Dante lover. That's like me being uh, a, a, a Cleveland Browns lover, and I could so, tell you lots about it. I have to correct that, by the way. Here's what Smith is. Smith, Smith, I'm going to give him the big head just a little bit, but really he's just a jerk. But uh, he, he's an expert on Shakespeare and on Thomas More, and he knows those things, really knows them. And he calls himself a lover of Dante who happens to teach it, but his courses are known all over the place about Dante, and people queue up to get in them. And he, uh, I saw him last term walking across the quad and how you doing, Steve? And uh, Steve, you won't be able to tell from this interview, but he's a very pleasant guy. <laughs> and he said, uh, oh, he said, I'm very well. And I said, why would that be? And he said, well, you know, I'm teaching Dante this term. So that was last term, right? And he, he's, he's like that. Let's and hope so, the glow is still going. And I want the audience to understand that this is not out of order. Uh, we finished Aquinas last week after five marvelous weeks in Aquinas. And Aquinas died in 1274. And Dante was born around 1265. So we are, Dr. Smith, we're in the right time frame. Oh, definitely. He's born in 1265, dies in 1321. And so one one author compared, you know, the Summa and the Divine Comedy and said they were like two cathedrals uh, to the the medieval uh, imagination and heart. 
So we're dealing with the second, the Divine Comedy now. And, and a little bit about Dante from Florence, an intriguer, a Machiavelli, before there was Machiavelli, uh, <laughs> uh, an absolute adventurer. And, and where is he buried? And give sort of a capsule of his life for the people who just know that he wrote this amazing poem. Sure. Um, well, Machiavelli did admire his prudence, actually. He said as much. But he was you know, born in 1265, uh, married in 1285. And there are probably two big things to know about him to read the Divine Comedy. One involves Beatrice, uh, the young lady he fell head over heels in love with, and then Florentine politics. So first with Beatrice, he sees her when he's eight years old, and then again nine years later, and then she dies young. Uh, That experience for Dante really began uh, as an experience of beauty that was very powerful and very transformative for him. So Beatrice is going to be a character in the Divine Comedy, and his, his love of her and how much she struck him and moved him is a big story from his early life. In fact, uh, when he wrote the Vita Nuova, the new life, about his encounter with her, he ended the book promising that he would write about her um, in a way greater than any man has ever written about another woman. Wow, big course, promise. Yeah, big promise. And then he writes The Inferno. So, okay. <laughs> His other lover, you write to me, is philosophy. He fell in love with Beatrice and he fell in love with philosophy. Oh, wait. Well, so I got to interject. He please. falls in love with politics. I, I want to really. help question Smith. Is that all right? Please. Yeah, so first of all, he, he doesn't marry this woman, but another woman. Yeah, Gemma Donati. And he did not write about that other woman. I'm afraid Gemma doesn't get as much uh, press as Beatrice. Uh, so my question is, one of the things that poetry does is it takes particular things and turns them into abstractions. So Beatrice is not just a beautiful woman, she's beauty. Hmm. So is that what's going on here? And does this and, and if that's what's going on, is that a sign that Dante, a Christian man, was not unfaithful to his actual wife? Well, that's a difficult question to ask. He's married, has four children, and... When he goes into exile, she stays behind. Beatrice is long dead at this point and has become, you know, quite a powerful figure in his poetic imagination. So I don't think he's exactly unfaithful, though, you know, every so often a student will raise his or her hand in class and say, was he married? (laughs) Well, I I noted the way that you diplomatically put it that the the wife doesn't get as much press as Beatrice. (laughs) Who may be the most famous object of a poem in history, right? And so she, she doesn't get as much press as this most famous. But but that's a different thing. I don't think there's infidelity involved in that recollection of his youthful uh, smittenness. No, for him, for him, the the Beatrice encounter it, it awakened. It was like a wait, an awakening, an experience of beauty that was very intense. And you know, Plato says when we experience beauty, it causes a little bit of suffering, but also wings to sprout in the soul. And I think that's what happened with Dante. And when she dies uh, young, he takes it very hard, and he actually turns to philosophy for consolation. So his second lady is actually Lady Philosophy. Turns out he has a lot of ladies, you know. But but he also <laughs> threw himself into politics big time. And and what's yeah. interesting is if he did the big swoon for Beatrice at 18 or 19 or 20, <laughs> it's years later that he writes about her in between. And I was reading up on him. He was a cutthroat. I mean, they, they, these people played to win, and when they lost, they lost big. Yeah. Well, I think the, the political side is, is just vital. 
In 1300, he becomes one of the six magistrates of Florence, and he's involved in factional clashes throughout his life. In Florence, there were two big factions, the whites and the blacks. The whites wanted Florence to retain you know, jurisdiction governance over itself. Uh, the blacks, who were supported by Boniface VIII, wanted to place all of Florence and Tuscany under papal control, so there was a, a strife there. So Dante's in 1300 at the top of the world, you know, one of the six magistrates. But just two years later, the other side takes over again. Dante is on the outs and then is brought up on charges of embezzlement and some other things, banished from Florence and never returns. So that exile from, say, 1302 on, it's in that space and in that experience that he writes the Divine Comedy. And at first, it's a very bitter experience, as you can imagine, being cast out of your home, never come back on the pain of being burnt, burnt alive, burnt to death. And his first thought when he gets out is war, actually, and revenge. And then he breaks with, with those foes and enters into this exile, during which he writes the Divine Comedy. D- did his poetic talent have anything to do with his rise to political power? Well, at first they're separate. I mean, the poetry comes from Beatrice mainly. Um, but then he has such keen political interest and he cares so much about the proper governance of Florence that the poetry about Beatrice and poetry about Florence, concern for Florence, you know, join together. So in the Divine Comedy, you have Beatrice is present. She'll be a guide of Dante eventually. And then you have a huge political theme that unfolds from beginning to end. So they, they, they come together in the Divine Comedy, but well, they, they initially start, I think, separately. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about what is, in fact, the Divine Comedy, what you need to know to be ready to talk about it and how to go about learning it. Uh, today is Hillsdale Dialogue in two parts, two hours on Good Friday. It's an exploration of Dante's Inferno, which, of course, begins on the first day of Good Friday in the book. And so we'll, we'll walk through it with Dr. Stephen Smith. Professor at Hillsdale College and Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. For every one of the Hillsdale Dialogues, go to hugh4hillsdale.com or go to hillsdale.edu if you want to listen to this or any of their many offerings. They're all available at hillsdale.edu. Or you can go to hughhewitt.com and click on the Hillsdale, Hillsdale Dialogue for a direct link. Stay tuned. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. 21 minutes after the hour, America, it's Hugh Hewitt, joined by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, Dr. Stephen Smith, a professor there. And we are talking on this Good Friday about Dante's Inferno for reasons we talked about in the first segment. It's the perfect book to be talking about today. In the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of which are available online, hugh4hillsdale.com, where you can go and find most of everything that Hillsdale does at hillsdale.edu. Uh, before we go back to the Divine Comedy, a word about Florence. Um, Dr. Arndt, how many of the Hillsdale students spend some time abroad? Um, I, I don't know the quick answer to that question, but it's probably 25%, something like that. And Dr. Smith, when did you first go to Florence? When I was a sophomore in college. And it's a remarkable place. I was an older fellow. I was 45 when I got to Florence. But you just walk right. It's a remarkable place. I can't imagine... Uh, even in uh, 800 years ago, 700 years of being exiled from it, being told you'll never come back to Florence if that's your home, uh, Stephen Smith. Yeah, that's that's why the poem is so bitter and the experience is so bitter, but it's it's through that bitter experience, which for Dante is real suffering. He loved that place. 
Uh, it's through that that the poem, the divine comedy, arises. And so at the beginning of the poem, to be banished from Florence is you know, the worst thing in the world. But by the time you get to Paradiso, it becomes, you know, providential. It becomes something that actually helped Dante quite a bit, especially helped him gain gain perspective on himself, on the world, and on his own desires. So it's both suffering and bitter. It's kind of like a death. Uh, but then it becomes fruitful over time, even a grace. Now, Dr. Arndt, you, uh, as a young man, went to London for a long period of time, and thank goodness you did because... Penny saved you. Uh, you a, a wonderful bizarre. <laughs> but, but is it important for young people to do that, to get out and leave? Yeah, and we, uh, uh, with one caveat, uh, we reduce education today to a series of experiences, and we have a way of taking the thought out of it. So it's important to read Dante with somebody who can teach you what it means and why you should love it, and then go to Florence. And so lots of our kids, I mean, it's probably a lot more than 25% who, if you include the ones who go in the summer. But, you know, we've got a packed house here. We, there's a lot to accomplish, and kids don't want to go anywhere. Yep, yep. And so it's, uh, but, but yeah. And, you know, I mean, in Florence is Michelangelo's David. Everybody listening to this program should immediately form the ambition to walk down that long hallway and look at that thing. Uh, every year when I teach the uh, pornography cases, I begin by asking people what is the most beautiful thing they have seen in order to juxtapose the jurisprudence. And I always say it's the David. So you're absolutely right. It yeah. is the most beautiful thing I've seen. Made by man. So let me ask you, uh, uh, Stephen Smith, when, when he goes off, you, you teach a semester on this, on one poem. Yeah, we have about 45 classes for 100 cantos. Yeah, see... It's the way. It's the way to do it, Hugh. Explain. Explain to the audience, which includes Steelers fans. So slow down. Uh, what a canto is. <laughs> canto just means song. So, the Divine Comedy is made up of a hundred cantos and um, thirty-three, roughly thirty-three Inferno, thirty-three Purgatorio, thirty-three Paradiso. The first one has thirty-four, so it adds up to a hundred. But a canto is maybe four pages long, five pages long. And each one of them is like its own little work of art. And one of the things that's great about reading Dante is you can take him, you know, bit by bit, piece by piece. In fact, C.S. Lewis said, the best way to experience and read Dante is with a small daily portion. <laughs> so, you know, a couple of cantos, a couple of cantos, a couple of cantos. And so I, I've tried to, you know, imitate that in the class. And we really take a whole semester and we putt, putt, putt through it, read it as carefully as we can. And it becomes, by the end, just a tremendous, transformative reading experience. And do you read it from start to finish? Absolutely. And that was the way it was intended to be read? Yes. yes. Now, Dr. Arn, among some of your colleagues, a lot of attention is, is paid to placement of, uh, of portions of books. Does that apply to a poem as it would apply to others? Sure. This, uh, you know, the, the, the Divine Comedy has... You know, it's each one is these little songs that Steve described, but also it's the grandest cosmic journey possible from earth to hell to heaven. And so to, you know, so first of all, it's a big story and it's an adventure. I mean, it's a tremendous thing, you know, and and if you have much education and your readers do, including the Steelers fans, then then uh, then. You meet people on this journey who are tremendous human beings, and you see how they came out. So if what you're asking me is, 
does the structure matter? And are you asking me, can you extract from it? Yeah, so I'm that- asking you if it is one of those books that you've got to read start to finish. Don't well, go and try and learn it by going to the middle. And you try. know, we, we around here, most of us have an objection to the Common Core. And our objection is that it, it, it does try to cover classic works, but every course it proscribes has got to cover start to finish, right? So you start with Plato and you end up with whoever the latest person is. And the trouble is then you never get to read anything deeply. Right. And, you know, a, a piece of advice because life is too short for all of us, even if even if you work in the academic world, life is too short. Pick three things. I was given this advice in my life and it's been very good for me. Pick three things and get to know them. Pick three books. And, you know, this book has got to be on anybody's list of candidates. It is a, more than a book, an epic pilgrimage, you told me, Dr. Smith. Compare it, would you, to other epics? Yeah, I mean, it comes after Virgil's Aeneid and Augustine's Confessions. Now, the Confessions isn't usually described as an No, epic, I was surprised by that. Okay. But um, big, there's a big connection between the books. Um, so the Aeneid is the story of Aeneas escaping from the fall of Troy moving across the sea to Italy to found Rome. And so it has this uh, sort of founding story, kind of political meaning. And the Confessions is Augustine's story. I think you may have discussed this with Dr. Jeff Lehman. Um, That that work has been described as an inner epic, which I think is quite a good description of it. So instead of going from Troy to, to Rome and founding a city, in Augustine, the soul is going from restlessness to rest in God. So there's an interior epic. And I think that Dante combines the two in the Divine Comedy. Like Augustine, it's an autobiography. And like Virgil, it's, a, it's an epic, too. So uh, he combines these two into uh, an astonishing work of art. Now, there, there have been epics since then as well, and sure. epic poems put forward. Does anyone attempt to scale the same heights? Uh, Milton, Paradise Lost. Uh, in fact, a, a magnificent class would be, well, on, on the epic, you know, Homer, Virgil, Dante, Milton. But Dante and Milton in particular would be a, a great pair to put together. So have you par- taught Paradise that yet? Lost. Have oh, you... yes. I've taught Paradise Lost a bunch of times. But I mean together. Have you done that course? I have not. There you have it, Dr. Arn. Next <laughs> there you semester. Go. There you go. We'll be you right know, that's, that you can't get a lick of work out of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we let them take the, If they get summers off, they get lazy. We'll be right back. Don't they know. <laughs> Paradise <laughs> Lost. <laughs> Paradise Lost. We'll be right back. What does comedy mean when we return? In the meantime, go to HughForHillsdale.com and begin with our very first Hugh for Hillsdale dialogue, which was the epic The Iliad. That's where we began with Dr. Arn. A year and a half back, and every single one of these conversations available at youforhillsdale.com or at hillsdale.edu. Stick around. I'll be right back. 34 minutes after the hour, America. It's Hugh Hewitt on Good Friday. The Hugh Hewitt Good Friday edition includes a two-hour conversation about Dante's Inferno. Uh, And all of you who are listening know you are in the Hillsdale Dialogue, which we do every Friday for at least an hour and today for two uh, again with us, as he is usually, Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, and joining him today, Dr. Stephen Smith, his professor there, member of the faculty who teaches primarily in Renaissance literature, but has taught Dante uh, many times. And I go back to Professor Smith. What is this comedy thing? Divine comedy? People are, you know, nowadays are expecting Seinfeld. What? What is it? <laughs> yeah, you're not going to find a lot of whipped cream pies in the face in Dante <laughs> or things like that. You know, for Dante, comedy is you know one of the, one of the old genres, 
Uh, and the essence of it is that it begins with adversity or begins in a tempest and ends with happiness. So the essence of, of a comedy is happy ending, yeah, human happiness. And he also remarks in, in another piece of writing that the comic hero tends to come to a happy ending through a good deal of bumbling. So he's a little different than a, the tragic hero. I've heard a lecture on comedy from Dr. David Allen White, no stranger to this show, where he says Shakespeare's comedies are all defined by that, mm. uh, but also almost always include marriage. Is that the case with Dante? Well, we did talk about the Gemma Donati Beatrice thing. He's already married, so uh, there's no marriage at the end of the Divine Comedy, but Paradiso is presented as a kind of mystical marriage between the soul and God. So, yes, it does have a sort of marriage aspect to it. And divine was added later. This was news to me when you gave me the outline to work from. Yeah, it's uh, added, we think, by Boccaccio. Um, he was already known as the sort of divine poet, and so they threw on divine. But the title is just the comedy. In fact, the full title is kind of funny. It's the comedy of Dante Alighieri, a Florentine by birth, not character. Huh. That is kind of funny. That is, that's very amusing, actually. So, so what are the circumstances of its publication? Does it does it appear serially or in a in a single folio? What's the... we wrote it in wrote it in exile, and then it was you know released in in manuscript form. So, so it just appeared in Florence. Boom! And here's Dante's missive to the city. What was the reaction at the time? Well, you know. And we mentioned his tomb at the beginning. You know, once it became clear that the Divine Comedy was, you know, a once in a millennium kind of poem, I think Florence wanted that body back. You know, they want they wanted to take back the exile. Um, but, they liked him better dead than alive. <laughs> you know, I actually think I was supposed to mention where he was buried, and I didn't. So yeah, he, he, yeah he's in Ravenna, and that that big that big tomb in the Duomo is empty in Florence. So it has Dante on the, you know, sitting there with his, his, you know, his head in his fist, the, the kind of posture of the thinker. Um, but there's no body there. I didn't know that, but I have to pause to tell you that when I visited Westminster Abbey and I stood looking at the tomb of Cromwell, a little British lady walked up to me and said, he's not there. And I said, <laughs> what? <laughs> they dug him up and hung him. <laughs> yeah. Larry Arn, I didn't know that. The English take their... They take their revenge seriously. Oh, yeah, you know. Well, if you think about the English Revolution, right, it's like some of the events in, in Dante's life. One one side won for a long time, and then the other side won for a while, and then the first side won again. And, you know, there was bloodbaths every time. And the blacks and the whites. How long did that go on for, Stephen Smith? Well, you know, once Dante lost, um, he he was you know, out of, the, out of the picture. But Florentine politics continued to be a kind of bloody mess for, for a while. Here's what Machiavelli said about, about it. Uh, there resulted more murders, banishments, and destruction of families than ever in any city known to history. Wow. So this is a rough, rough place politically. Right, yeah, Machiavelli is from there, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, and, and see, think about this. Um, if you compare these two parts of, of uh, uh, Dante's life, the political part and the philosophic part, all those people that drove him out of the city and threatened his life and ruled this incredibly important city where Machiavellian politics were literally born, all those people are forgotten now. And it wasn't long after he died that people gained perspective, right? 
And they, you know, and so in one of the most prominent places, in one of the most monumental cities on the face of the earth, there's a major tomb for Dante waiting for him sometime to show up. <laughs> I don't think the Ravenna uh, elites are going to be in a hurry to make that happen, right? Well, you know, they say the, win- the winners write history and the losers write poetry. <laughs> there you go. I'll be right back with Dr. Stephen Smith and Dr. Larry Arn, both of Hillsdale College, on this Good Friday as you drive to where you are going stuck. Now you're going to get the introduction to Dante you've always wanted, but you didn't get to go to Hillsdale, so you didn't get it. Stay right where you are. Go to HughForHillsdale.com for all of the Hillsdale Dialogues. We'll be right back. 44 minutes after the hour, America. It's Hugh Hewitt on the Hillsdale Dialogue, a special two-hour edition today on Good Friday with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, Stephen Smith, one of the great professors there at Hillsdale College. Everything you need to know about Hillsdale is at Hillsdale.edu. All of these dialogues from the very beginning at the Iliad to the present and in the future will be available at HughForHillsdale.com, completely free and uh, unabridged, and you can get there via HughHewitt.com. Dr. Smith, it's an autobiographical epic, uh, Dante's uh, Divine Comedy. It begins with the Inferno, three parts, Inferno, Purgatorio, Paradiso. Can you get us at the beginning and tell us where we find Dante, age, place, state of mind? Yeah, well, here's how the poem starts, very simply. Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself in a dark wilderness, for I had wandered from the straight and true. So we find him lost in a dark wood at the midpoint of his life. And uh, you know, according to the scripture, the span of life is 70 years. So this puts Dante lost in a dark wood in the year 1300, uh, right before he becomes one of those magistrates of Florence, and at the age of 35. So, so yes, this is one of the great midlife crises in all of uh, Western literary history. And what is the state of his soul? Well, he's, I think, largely ignorant of himself. Uh, he's lost. And he says, you know, I found myself in this wood. I had no idea when I left the way of truth behind. So he kind of awakens in this state, returns to himself, and has really no idea how he got into this mess. So he's in a he's in a dangerous state, and he's pretty much on the point of death in Canto One until he's rescued. Nobody likes dark woods. I mean, they really <laughs> do not like dark woods. So it's starting off on an ominous. Uh, you you read the first couple lines. Can you give us more of the beginning and perhaps the beginning again? Sure. Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself in a dark wilderness or dark wood, for I had wandered from the straight and true. How hard a thing it is to tell about it that wilderness so savage, dense, and harsh. Even to think of it renews my fear. It is so bitter, death is hardly more. But to reveal the good that came to me, I shall relate first the other things I saw. Now, you you mentioned earlier, it begins on Good Friday. Right. And so we are in a Catholic context on uh, the most solemn day of the year, the day of the commemoration of the crucifixion. And that I assume Catholicism just infuses every canto of the hundred. Yes, it does. Um, The the liturgical setting is really important. So when he wakes up in the wood, he says, I just passed a night of agony um, alone. So it actually stretches back to Holy Thursday. There's sort of a canto zero, if you will. And then Good Friday is the beginning of the poem. The Inferno is Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And when they finally get out of the inferno and come to the shores of Mount Purgatorio, it's pre-dawn Easter Sunday. 
so that that liturgical meaning is just baked into the poem and is is really important. And so how, how does he how does he get out of the dark wood? Get us started here. Well, he wake you know comes to his senses. He sees a mountain that he would like to climb, but he can't because he's blocked by three beasts, and he's driven back to the place where the sun is silent, as he puts it. He's about to give up all hope. He's about to yield to despair. When, of all things, the ghost of Virgil, the author of the Aeneid, appears in the wilderness to rescue him. So I always talk to students, you know, I ask them, what do you think about that? And I think, ah, that's okay. The ghost of Virgil showed up. Um, But for me, it's never ceased to be one of the strangest beginnings in any of the books I teach. I mean, the ghost of another poem uh, another great poet appears in the wilderness to help this guy. There are two things here, uh, Dr. Oren. One, we skipped the Aeneid. Yeah, we did. We shouldn't have done it. I was just sitting ready to ask Steve to tell us what happens in the Aeneid. Yeah, because we skipped it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Aeneas, uh, who is a Trojan, you know, escapes from the fall of Troy, and he's given the mission to found Rome. And he does so through the, the journey and the adventure of the poem. And so that, that poem is about the founding of Rome and what makes Rome great and what the Roman arts are and, and why Rome should rule the world. So that's Virgil's poem. And it's this poet who appears in the wilderness to help Dante. And, and you have to say, first of all, yeah. Virgil is a pagan, I would say, before Jesus. And, and Virgil is the poet of Rome. He's the poet of the greatness of Rome, and and Rome is, you know, one of the most, one of the greatest of all the lands. And so, who walks in to help him, except a pagan, the official biographer or poet of the greatness of Rome? Yeah. Isn't that risking the animosity of the local papal authorities that you're beginning your poem with a homage to a pagan? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, it, it actually, sure. I mean, it's, that's why I asked the students about it. I mean, hey, hey what do you think about this? Uh, another way to put it is, you know, what on earth is God thinking? You know, why send a classical poet to help this lost Christian soul? Seems kind of unaccountable thing for providence to do. Um, but r- really, for Dante, there are two great sources of wisdom on the human being, and they're classical and biblical, broadly speaking. And he's really interested in um, bringing those two together and, and sort of sorting out um, the claims about man in each. So he's been deeply formed in the classical philosophy and poetry. He's deeply formed in theology. And so part of the poem is going to work through um, the classical, biblical Is it dialogue. too obvious a, a, a comparison to note that Aquinas relied on Aristotle and here we have a mythical um, Dante relying on the, the Roman pagan? No, I think that's a good point. I mean, Aristotle appears in Canto 4. He's the master of the philosophical family, the master of those who know. So Dante loved Aristotle too. And yeah, it's this soul sent to help Dante. By sent, you mean, but commissioned. Yeah, this this is what you learn next, is that, you know, at first it just seems completely unaccountable that he shows up in the middle of the dark wood. Then then he says, all right, Dante, let me explain why I'm here. And it turns out, Canto 2, that he was sent to help Dante by Beatrice. 
So his lifelong love is throwing him a rope in the form of Virgil. We'll explain on Good Friday in the middle of a dark wood. Uh, more coming. Don't go anywhere. 1-800-520-1234. And I'll be right back with Dr. Larry Arn, Dr. Stephen Smith of the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. Dr. Stephen Smith, his colleague on the faculty there, on a special two-hour Hillsdale Dialogue, which we do in the last hour each week of the radio show. But this week, two hours on Good Friday, which we will use in the future. I, I have to pause and ask the presumption that is required of someone to begin this poem. And I'll, I'll start this to Dr. Arn and give it to Dr. Smith as well. Where you're comparing yourself to Virgil, uh, it, it requires a, just a stunning self-regard, doesn't it, Larry? Well, there's uh, yes and no. It, uh, it's In a way, it's what all of us are called to do. If you think of that parallel that we talked about before the break that, between Dante and Thomas Aquinas, in a way, they're both addressing themselves to something that everyone addresses himself to who listens to the Hillsdale Dialogue. What sense are you going to make of the world? You know, most of your listeners are Christians, and most of us here at Hillsdale College are. And so what are we Christians in this age to make of things? And to, to, to do that seriously is to take account of the best things that have been thought. And so what Dante is doing is he's, you know, he's got trouble in his life. He loves somebody. He lost her. She becomes, as I said before, an abstraction for him, the symbol of something we all desperately seek and need, and he finds at the end of this, uh, this tremendous work. But, but, but also he's exiled from his home, and he's fought for his home and ruled in his home. This raises questions about life. And so to answer them, come to find out the wise of every age have something to say. And so this is one of the great attempts to bring all that together. And, and Dr. Smith, did he, did he write before this? What were other people aware of and confirming of his talent, or did he just set off to write the greatest epic ever? <laughs> he certainly did that, but that's a good question. You know... When you get to Canto Four, and I don't want to jump ahead, but Dante will be numbered six among the great classical writers. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty astonishing. <laughs> I always tell students, like, okay, say you like novels. Imagine you come into class and say, I just had a dream last night. I was numbered six. There was Dostoevsky and Tolstoy yes. and Jane Austen and me. <laughs> and, me. <laughs> and so it's, it's, uh, it's quite a claim. And we always stop at this moment and ask, all right. So up to this point, Dante is the author of the Vita Nuova, a short work, an incomplete philosophical treatise called the Convivio, an incomplete treatise on the vulgar eloquence, and some lyric poetry. So, I mean, where's his CV, you know, number six? <laughs> and it's internal, right? That's yeah. when we come back. Yeah. Uh, it, humility is, is appropriate on Good Friday, especially, and we wonder about the lack of it, but there's also truth-telling to be done. The Hillsdale Dialogue continues in a special two-hour Good Friday edition, Dante's Inferno. Don't go anywhere, America, except the Hugh for Hillsdale.com or Hillsdale.edu. Stay tuned.